0: And so what that meant was that I got sent to Juba for a weekend um, for R&R, which was interesting yep. because uh, Juba <laughs> is not a very uh, relaxing place um, and the, the constant sort of um, gunfire outside in the in the town overnight is, is not exactly um, restful. Uh, but it was good just not to have to get up at the break of dawn and, you know, round yep. on 100 pages.
1: Hello everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week I've got a um, guest, um, Dr. Andy Atkinson. She's an um, ONG trainee here at uh, Edward. She Andrew. gave us a, um, a great talk a few weeks ago um, uh, about some of her experiences she's had in the past with uh, MSF and so I thought I'd get her along um, to share those with us again today. Um, thanks for coming along, Andy. Thanks for having me. Um, when you gave a talk last uh, a few weeks ago, you sort of started off with a little bit about yourself. Do you mind mm-hmm. sort of just sharing that with the listeners?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, so I am a fourth year ONG trainee, um, working in Perth at the moment, um, and I uh, grew up in Zimbabwe, so um, uh, moved to Perth when I was about 15, um, finished high school here and went to UWA, um, and I had always sort of planned to do medicine, it was the career that I chose quite early, Um, but my impression or my expectations from what it would be like uh, to be a doctor um, was very different uh, when I finally did finish university and and started working. Um, uh, Having grown up in Africa, I'd seen um some of you know family friends working as as gps and doctors and um yeah part of part of what i saw uh, saw how they worked um made me interested in working you know in more uh acute or third world settings
1: okay that's good and um and I think you were telling us that you'd uh, at some stage in your medical career you did the Diploma of Tropical Medicine. Is that right?
0: Yeah. So yep. after um, my internship, I went to Liverpool in the UK and um, completed the Diploma of Tropical Medicine and Hygiene, which was a, a really excellent course um, and gave a, a really strong foundation for um, working in um, in developing world settings, uh, and a, gave a really thorough. Um, understanding of, of the diseases that you really don't come into contact with in a first world setting, um, unless you are an infectious disease specialist. Um, yep. So, yeah, that definitely set the scene for um, you know pursuing uh, a position with um, Doctors Without Borders or MSF.
1: And tell us, so tell us the story about how you sort of got interested, and then how you ended up, you know, pursuing um, this um, adventure well adventure? I think you called it—experience um, that you had with MSF.
0: Uh, yep, so um, I think after the DTM, doing the DTMH, the Diploma in Tropical Medicine, um, I still didn't really have a clear idea of um, what I wanted to do or what specialty I wanted to work in, um, but I wanted to sort of have a better understanding of women's health. I came to realise that um, part of my ma- value to um, an organisation like MSF would be that um, as a female um female patients might be more comfortable coming to see me, and so I um, did an advanced diploma in ONG at um, King Edward Hospital, Um, and having completed that, I really felt like I had some useful skills for for working overseas. Um, I don't know why I chose MSF initially, but um, after sort of reading more about the organisation and the principles under which they um, operate, uh, I definitely felt like it was the best sort of fit um, for what I wanted to achieve, which really was an experience and, um, you know, pushing myself to uh, work outside of my comfort zone um, more than any sort of altruistic um, intentions, I guess.
1: And so... um for the listeners, I'm sure we'll be really interested to know sort of what's the process involved. You know, how do they recruit people? Mm-hmm. What are they? How do they assess people and train them? And you know, what's what, how does that yeah. all work?
0: Um, so I think there's a little bit of a sort of misconception that um, MSF only um, hires uh, specialists. Um, and of course, you know, once someone has completed their specialty training, they do have. Um, a more uh, a set of skills that's um, harder to come by um, but MSF does recruit um, uh, doctors who've been working for at least two to three years uh, so that in Australia yep. is still your junior um, medical cohort um, and basically the process for anyone whether that's um, a junior doctor or a specialist is to send an application form in, just your CV, your interests um, and that gets reviewed by the uh, HR team uh, and then they they interview um, in each state a couple of times a year, um, and that's quite a—it's quite an interesting interview. It was a really—it was a long interview, but it—it it really felt like um, the recruiter got to know who I was um, more so than I've ever felt in an, any other interview before. Yep. Um, and after that, they send you um, if they that those two things go well they send you on some pre-departure training which um occurs in sydney which is a little bit of a um it's training but it's also a test to see how you would work with a team because you're being trained with um not just medics but um logisticians um admin staff um uh, engineers um all sorts of um staff who who work with msf um and based on based on that they offer you your first mission
1: what sort of training were they Putting you through sort of simulated scenarios or uh, was it just sort of didactic? Uh, know, no. Giving it was, talks or? Uh,
0: the emphasis was really on um, communication, teamwork. Um, we had uh, lectures and activities based on security, um, and that was, you know, that's quite confronting, really, talking about. You know if there's shooting nearby or um, yeah, you know if the, if the project goes down into lockdown what do you do what's your lines of communication um, but it was delivered in a way that made you really comfortable that they knew what they were talking about um, and and a, a lot of the um, I guess the principles and the way MSF keeps people safe is by making sure that those all of those processes are are really tight um, didn't go through too many sort of simulations or, or scenarios because every mission is very different um, and, and that's, you know, really you do a lot of on-the-job training um, but uh, I was impressed with a lot of their um, yeah teamwork and management training that they had.
1: Um, okay, and so then you said, tell, me, tell us about the missions so you're saying they, mm-hmm. um, they allocate your missions so what, how did that work out and where, what happened there?
0: Uh, yeah. So again, uh, something that people often ask me is, "Oh, where do you want to go?" But it, it, that's not really how how it works, and um, it, it's more about what you're going to do. So they they look at your job profile, they look at your experience, um, and then they will match you to a position that they think you're suitable for, and that's based on um, your skills and your knowledge, as well as you know who you are in terms of age, gender. Um, ethnicity Um, and uh, so they offer you a position and really it it is quite important to be open to um, you know that first mission and that that position that they offer you unless there is you know a really strong reason that you you feel that you're not well suited to it Um, and so my first mission was uh, as a medical doctor in a um, camp for internally displaced people or IDPs in South Sudan um, and uh, that was offered to me shortly after my um, pre-departure training.
1: And so just uh, to let the listeners know, how long ago was that? What, what uh, so context was
0: 2015, yep. um, so towards the end of 2015, um, and it was uh, moving into the rainy season, which also equates to the uh, malaria season in that part of South Sudan.
1: And so do you want to talk us through uh, what it was like when you got there and what your role was?
0: Uh, So even after accepting the mission, there were, you know, there's a few steps to go through. So um, you pass back through the um, office in Sydney to get your briefing. I then went... um, The the Sydney MSF offices then um, works with all the other operational centres in Europe, so I was sent to uh, Germany for another pre-departure training with the um, operational centre that I was working with, and that was another week uh, working with um, other uh, MSF recruits from all around the world. And then from there, I flew to Juba in South Sudan, had another briefing at the head office uh, before taking the flight to um, the camp that I was going to be working in. and so they give you as much information as they can but um in a lot of those contexts uh things are changing all the time and so um the briefing that I'd received was that I was going to work in a camp uh of about 30,000 people. Yep. Um, but a few months later by the time I arrived there were 110,000 people um in that camp. Um and MSF was running the only hospital which was um, a tent hospital at one end of the camp. Um and uh, unfortunately, the actual medical doctors on the ground um, had to had to have been recruited from other um, missions so when I arrived there were two medical doctors I was the third um, yep. and uh, for a period that I was there, uh, I was only one of two um, while they were trying to recruit more uh, people to the to the mission
1: and was the camp itself run by um S- some other organisations, UN or something mm. like that? Or?
0: Yep, so it yep. was a, a UN protection of civilian camp, um, so basically a safe haven for um, people in the area to flee to when their um, villages or towns came under attack, um, as there was, had been constant fighting um, throughout South Sudan um, since its independence in 2012.
1: And so was the camp itself fairly secure? Was there um, people, you know, peacekeepers or some sort of security?
0: Uh, Yeah, so there were peacekeepers um, guarding the camp. um, uh, uh, But our sort of, our compound itself, um, uh, MSF has a a no guns policy, so um, there's no security guards uh with uh, with arms per se uh guarding us uh we're just there on the understanding that um we are wanted and needed um and and protected uh based on based on that
1: yep okay all right tell us some of your experiences i'm sure um, it was a it was pretty challenging
0: Mm, yeah it was um very confronting in the beginning um so just from a living perspective you sort of living living in a tent um uh with a sort of limited access to um sort of uh, amenities um so there were about 40 of us at one stage uh staying in the compound um with a cup about two or three drop toilets to, to work between us <laughs> uh, so that got that got uh, pretty busy in the mornings um um but the the work was so busy that a lot of that falls away um in terms of um concerns or or things yeah. that bother you once once you're once you're busy and you're working. Um, so my role uh, was really to um, manage the inpatients um, in the hospital, um, to decide um, who needed to be uh, to stay in the hospital, who needed treatment, and who could go home. Um, but as I said, we uh, I began at the start of my mission. We hit a major malaria outbreak. Um, and so we were admitting about forty children a day um, who needed treatment. So they were often arrived unconscious or anaemic, yeah. um, uh, sometimes often seizing, uh, and so we had to sort of stabilise them and then imi- uh, initiate um, treatment, which is all sort of protocol based um, from MSF uh, on how to treat uh, the severe malaria um and then we'd have to sort of discharge an equal number at one stage i think we had about um between 110 and 150 inpatients a day um so it was you know important to sort of get 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 round to everyone um the te- hospital also had a um, a nutrition tent um, or intensive yep. therapeutic feeding tent, um, but that was mostly run by nurses. Again, mostly protocol based, uh, and so they would just, um, you know, call for a review if they had a patient that they were unsure about. Uh, there was a surgeon in the um, in the team, uh, so that was a general surgeon who came for um, four to six weeks at a time, uh, and they. Um, operated on any patients who required surgery uh, and then there was a maternity tent and um, that was run by a yep. few midwives uh, and so i'd get um, asked to review some patients over there um, but uh, well, generally I was kept sort of mostly busy with the the pediatric patients with malaria
1: and so just out of know, curiosity what was so how common were surgical and maternal maternity emergencies or you know um incidents that required your input and you know, what sort of things happened?
0: Um, so from a maternity perspective, um uh, in a context like that, the um, the main aim is, is, is a maternal health. Um, uh, unfortunately, the the well being of um, unborn um, babies is is a secondary priority, um, yeah. and so the indications for doing interventions such as cesarean section were primarily for um, m- mater- maternal and more morbidity or mortality. Um, so, actually, in the in the four months that I was there, I only. Was involved in a handful um, of cesarean sections, about 10 in total, um, and yep. the reasons for those ranged from um, major placenta previa um, to, to, to true obstructed labour, where we uh, really had no means of, of um, uh, delivering the baby. Yep. Um, uh, and that was really the, the main two indications that we would undertake, which is very different from um, uh, a, di- a a first world context where uh, the main reason that we perform cesarean sections is often for fetal indications.
1: Yeah. So mm. do you think the cesarean rate was less than 10% or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah,
0: absolutely. you met your goals. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, but, you know, equally with the malaria epidemic, the preterm um, birth rate was extremely high and right. without um, any uh, facilities to care for neonates or preterm um, babies, m- many of them did pass away. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Uh, and this, and the, what was the surgical um, caseload? Was it mainly trauma, or mm. fractures, appendicitis, or yeah, what sort yeah. of things were occurring? Uh,
0: most, mostly trauma. So um, often, um, uh, people will have you know walked for days or weeks to get to the camp um, and have quite significant infections or abscesses um, yep. just as a result of. Um, their their living conditions and, and, and hygiene and nutrition. Um, so they did a lot of um, incision and drainage of abscesses. Um, there were a couple of occasions where we had significant trauma come through. Um, one of the sort of more difficult days that I remember was... Um, it was in my first couple of weeks there, and we had our I had my first day off in about yeah. ten days, um, and um, we sort of heard over the radio that they were bringing three children into the um, into the hospital. Who unfortunately had come across a grenade um, when they were out playing in the fields, and um, it had gone off um, and injured um, all three of them. Uh, and so, the, by the time sort of we arrived at the surgical tent, the surgeon had already taken the first child in um, to operate on, um, and we tried to resuscitate the other two. Um, one of which um, passed away, um, and the other did um, during surgery later that night. Um, so it was really um, a matter of the surgeon doing the best that they could with very limited um, yeah. uh, support. And and very limited anesthetic um, capabilities as well.
1: All right. Uh, so, what what are the sort of um, other experiences you want to share f- with us from South Sudan? You, you, I know you talked about burnout and um, security and mm. a few other things. Yeah. Um.
0: I guess the burnout was an interesting one. Uh, it it was really hard to. It was one of those times in your life where someone else really had to approach me to say, look, I know you're working really hard, you're doing the best you can, but it gets to that point where um, shortly you're not going to be able to work properly if you don't take a break. And that was quite difficult to hear, and I remember being quite angry at the time because there wasn't really a great contingency plan for someone else to be covering the work that I was doing, Um, but, you know... In in those situations, they 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 make do and they find a way to, to cover the work. Now who was um,
1: the, that said that to you? Was it one of their team? Yeah. yeah. So
0: um, there's there's a a, a line management, um, and so a, a, my um, direct line manager was was the medical team leader. Um, and, and their role was mostly administrative and keeping keeping everything running but also looking out for the, um, the well-being of the staff um, and so what that meant was that I got sent to Juba for a weekend um, for R&R which was interesting yep. because uh, Juba <laughs> is not a very uh, relaxing place um, and the, the constant sort of um, gunfire outside in the in the town overnight is, is not exactly um, restful uh, but it was good just not to have to get up at the break of dawn and you know round yep. on 100 patients and then um, so what did you stay just s- sleep that? in your hotel room yeah mostly mostly slept. <laughs> um, and you know it's it's strange even in in completely war-torn countries you can still go out to a restaurant um and have a meal and um go and pay to use a hotel's pool so those are uh, those kind of things are uh still available when you need them yep um but yeah, after that, I was. I feel I was able to really go back and keep working at the level that I needed to for the last couple of months that I was there. Um, so that was a really interesting sort of personal learning experience. Yeah. I and guess. So when
1: you started your um, mission, that it was a mm-hmm. clear sort of period of time, so you knew when you were going to start and finish. Yeah, Is exactly.
0: Right? Yeah. Uh, so my mission was a four plus two, so four months um, mm-hmm. definite uh, four months, um, locked in and then two months of possible sort of extension. Yep. Um, but after the four months, um, with the amount of work that I'd done, um, they sort of didn't really ask me to stay on for two months and they'd managed to recruit, um, three more doctors to the project. Uh, so when I, I left, it was well, uh, much more staff than when I had began. i yep. um, that you know, made me feel really comfortable about going. And, and
1: Where did the rest of the members of the team come from? Which parts of the world mainly?
0: Hmm. Um, so um, the majority of our nursing staff um, were from uh, Kenya and Ethiopia. Yep. Um, and so they're often um, nurses who've worked with MSF for many years. Um, the doctors who came through were from, um, oh, where were we from? Netherlands, Germany, the UK, um uh Canada. Um so that was also, you know, a really great experience uh, getting to work and, and compare what, what it's like to work um in on all those different places compared to where we were. Um uh, uh but MSF the, the hospital um in the camp itself employed about um three hundred um of the uh, South Sydney's um population of the camp to be the paramedical staff um so they were our our um assistants uh, nursing assistants our um our security guards our yep. cooks our cleaners um and they really kept the hospital running
1: okay and so um so when you finished that mission uh, what did you do
0: Mm. Uh, so I came home. Um, yep. It's always, again, you never know, really know how you're going to adjust and, and what's going to stick with you. Um, but uh, I think I was so relieved to come home and, and looking forward to it so much that um, the adjustment wasn't too bad. Um, I had a couple of weeks off um, before I started um, work back at my regular hospital. Um so that was quite good. Um, there were a lot of psychological supports made available to me if I needed yep. them, um, and I had a debriefing through Amsterdam on my way out, so I felt that was um, quite um, well covered. Um, but then I came back to Perth and I worked for another 18 months in ONG um, and decided to apply for the training program. Um, I guess part of my uh career view or what i thought i had wanted to do was to work you know solely with msf and or solely um in in overseas um context. um but that experience um in south sudan um helped me to realize that i i really needed to build a life for myself uh, in in a place that i called home and yep. then use those skills um when i had the chance to um so, so that was it, it. Really helped me to figure out what I wanted to do with with my career. Um, so I came back, uh, uh, applied, and um, got accepted into ONG training, um, and then um, made the interesting decision of uh, using the four months before I began training to go on a second MSF mission to Libya.
1: Yes, yeah. and um, so that, and that was quite a different mission, wasn't it? So. Mm, uh. What's, what was the sort of context, cultural and sort of political context of uh, of where you went? And, and just explain that to us. So. That's
0: quite uh, interesting. So the the Libyan mission um, was very, very different, where the South Sudan mission was a little bit um, exactly how you imagine, you know, working with MSF, um, roughing it in a camp. Uh, the Libya mission was set up to support a Ministry of Health hospital um, where we were trying to provide additional training support um, and pharmacy items uh, for an established hospital that was really struggling to meet the demands of its maternity department. Yep. Um, And so this was a project that had been started but was struggling to sort of find its feet and so I had been offered the position of a medical activity manager, so a more... I guess, administrative role, um, where I would be organising the team of um, MSF staff and trying to coordinate their, their activities in the hospital. Um, so prior to that mission, um, MSF sent me on some field management training, which, again, I felt was was really exceptional and gave me a lot of tools to um, learn how to manage staff, to assert myself, um, and it was training that I'd, I'd never received um, anywhere else in my career. Um, which which was uh, yeah really useful and I used lots of the techniques um, during my time there uh, and then um, yeah went to Libya and uh, we were passed through Tunisia in part and uh, stayed in a house with running water and two kitchens and bathrooms and it was a completely completely different context. Um, so uh, the main differences, I guess, from, from home, Libya is uh, uh, Libya's an Islamic country, and so we needed to abide by the cultural um, expectations, um, which involved um, head coverings, uh, cl- clothing that covered um, hands, arms, yep. legs, um, and to um, really uh, try and um, be present in, in quite a rural town um, without uh, disturbing the, the, the way of life too much um, so we went into the hospital um, and basically sort of as with any um, wartime situation when um, a hospital's trying to keep um, its soldiers um, well and fit um, and its general population healthy uh, maternity yep. services are, are something that do tend to fall by the wayside so to speak. Um, I guess also in that context it seems something uh, somewhat as sort of women's business and so the, the men and the administrators in the hospital didn't really know how to help or what to do and I guess that's why they were probably more open to MSF offering to come into that, um, that role. Um, but it was a really interesting um, situation to work in, where uh, we saw how um, how valuable some of the um, uh, paramedical or um, other hospital staff can be in making sure that a that a, a department runs. Um, so I guess uh, what I mean is that um, when Libya um, uh, sort of began um having the troubles that it did um a lot of the uh, foreign employed staff um from places such as bangladesh and the philippines uh, decided to return home but they had been um fulfilling um essential tasks in in many industries including a hospital um in roles such as cleaning and nursing midwifery um yep. that were that left a massive gap um that was very difficult to fill um yeah.
1: Basically, they're essential, aren't they? And, you know, we take some of these roles for granted, don't we?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, you know, for our department, we had 30 doctors, but we didn't have a single um, fully trained midwife, um, which made it, it incredibly hard to run a maternity department.
1: Yes. Mm. And so so um, So, what? So how did they manage? I mean, but you told us a few interesting anecdotes. So, mm. So what... How did they manage deliveries? Well, I guess
0: um, (laughs) it it really highlighted um, what can happen when there's that breakdown between... Um, midwifery approach to um, to obstetrics uh, and the medical approach and so um, a lot of the reflex management was to perform a cesarean section regardless of of really the concern of the woman or the issue that she was presenting with um, in her pregnancy and regardless of the gestation at times um, because I guess the doctors didn't really feel comfortable um, putting a woman through say an induction of labor if they had a concern it was it was a uh, the the safest approach or the approach that they knew best was to perform a cesarean section. Yep. Um, but this uh, the one of the early issues that MSF had identified was that the sterilization process wasn't really um, Uh, uh, adequate for some of the instruments that were being used that was a priority and the waste disposal um, because obviously any operation performs a lot of waste um, was not was not really in place at all and so those had been initial focuses and then when I arrived we sort of looked at trying to see if we could find a way to coordinate you know who was coming in for a cesarean how many we were doing a day to manage our resources but that trip um, proved really really challenging.
1: What do you think was the barrier? Was it sort of was there some cultural ones between you and the established medical yeah, staff or um
0: I think so and and very understandable barriers um you know we were Foreign people coming to quite a rural area um, trying to impose some ideas about how to do things when really, um, you know, the department was run by trained doctors who had been there for a long time. And I guess possibly they hadn't seen the gradual um, sort of uh, deterioration in, in in the service because because it had been so gradual but to us it came across as quite sh- quite shocking um, but it also really made me reflect on how you know we might um, respond in a first world in in an australian context um if uh suddenly um you know a key part of our infrastructure was taken away from us and then people came to us uh from you know dubai and started to sort of impose their ideas of of how you run a hospital or a department um and it's very understandable that um there was a clash in 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 our expectations there
1: um, now, you alluded to in your talk, uh, or well, it might have actually been an email, something to do with the, something that happened at the local rubbish tip or mm, what, what was that? <laughs> I've, I've been curious ever since you said <laughs> that to was, find out what that was.
0: Yeah, that was really uh, an interesting part of the project and, again, an example of sort of the weird and wonderful things that you come to learn about or, or, or be involved in um, when you do um work uh, in, a, in a different context um, and so as I mentioned one of the early um, areas that they had identified that was lacking was waste disposal um, and so there had been sort of various, um, various uh, processes that the hospital had been doing to try and manage their waste. Some of it was just putting all of the waste in a room and just leaving it there. Um, And so we... So it's a bit like compost. Yeah, yeah. If you leave it long enough, it'll
1: eventually pull itself out.
0: Just don't open the door. Um, And so we... What MSF had been starting to um, build and develop was a a portable incinerator that they hoped to be able to use um, in different um, projects. Uh, And so this was an incinerator that basically could all be um, shipped in one shipping container um, and then assembled on site. But again, I guess because of that um, mistrust perhaps or or misunderstanding, um, the hospital didn't feel comfortable having the incinerator um, placed on the hospital grounds. Um, They had concerns about how the community would feel about this and what the the, the products or, or gases produced by the incinerator would be, sort of the irony being that the hospital itself did have an incinerator that didn't work, but had worked you know for many years right. prior. Um, but anyway, the, the agreement, uh, the sort of solution that that they came up with was that the MSF's incinerator could be placed in the um, town. Uh, dump um, which was a few kilometres out of town um, and that's where waste could be transported to to be processed. Um, It was a little bit sort of frustrating afterwards when you know the incinerator was finally put together. We had a team come over to um, build it and to um, get it working, teach local staff how to work it and when they saw that the only Sort of real product of it is um, is water vapor, um, with minimal um, noxious gases. Uh, nothing that would be of any concern um, in a in a suburban or, or, or a built up setting. Um, that they said, oh, why why have we put it here? And that whole sort of debate and discussion from many months prior had kind of been forgotten right. by that did time. Did they move it back? Or I don't know. I left. Um, How did
1: they stop someone from stealing it? That's- well, I guess,
0: uh, you know... Was quite big or...? It, no, it, w- it was big enough. You, you would need a a, a, a a significant moving vehicle to move it. I don't, and I also don't know who would want it. Um, but the, the the dump or the, the rubbish tip itself, um, although you could see it from the town, nobody would ever go there. Um, yeah. It was, you know, very much like a, an other place and the people who right. worked there were not people who anyone um, had any particular... Uh, respect or interaction with and so it was it was it was probably as safe as it could be and probably one of the safer places in the town if you needed to go somewhere (laughs)
1: um so and how did the mission finish up for you and for MSF
0: uh so at the end of my sort of mission and 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 realizing that um you know despite some of the practices or that we found it difficult to understand um the the way women were treated during a labor um, the the decisions regarding cesarean section things like that the the actual maternal mortality and morbidity was still remarkably low which which does highlight um really some very basic principles are, are what the majority of yep. people alive in terms of just cleanliness um, and um, access to to some medical um, assistance um, but the area that we we found a significant um, issue with was the neonatal mortality um, and morbidity rate which we related to the the high cesarean, preterm cesarean section rate um, and the fact that all babies were taken to a nursery that didn't have the capacity for them um, and so sort of realizing that um, made me realize that the 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 issues were a lot more, a lot bigger than perhaps one project or one team could address. Yep. Um, and so we um, we decided to to sort of reduce the project to um, provide um, medical uh, products, so fa- um, pharmacy items, um, uh, on a on a limited basis, um, and to move away from trying to sort of train staff, which which really isn't. Isn't one of MSF's strengths in that in that context? I don't think, and maybe an yep. area for the future, but um, yes, w- was definitely outside of the scope of the of the team of you know three midwives, um, uh, sorry, uh, one midwife, three nurses, and an obstetrician um, that hmm. we had in the field. Yeah.
1: I sort of get the impression that you felt like it wasn't they didn't really want to be trained. Is it? Part, um, of the, part of the problem, or they pate- they wanted help, but they didn't want to be told what to do. They-
0: yeah, possibly. Um, and I think just those expectations. I remember one of the final meetings I had before I left, and while I was trying to formulate what my sort of feedback or debriefing would be when I passed through Paris, I was trying to sort of really see if there was anything that we could provide to the service um, that we hadn't that we'd missed. Um, and I met with the head of department. Um, and I said, "Look, is there anything what else do you think we could bring to, to this to this department?" Um, and they said, "Oh uh, we need we need laparoscopy equipment. Um, we want to be able to we want to be a unit that does laparoscopy um, yep. And that really sort of um, was so far from where anyone uh, thought that that, that that this department um, could be, um, that I, I guess that really highlighted for me that we are, were on very... There was a real disconnect. Yeah, yeah. we really had had, had um, mis- misunderstood each other in, in what we were trying to achieve. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. As, so a few questions. So are you mm-hmm. planning on um, any future adventures with MSF or... Uh, well, Yeah. What what does the future hold?
0: Uh, So, well, at the moment I'm getting lots of emails um, with the current sort of uh, pandemic which yeah, we I'm are sure. all facing. Um, naturally, uh, you know, organisations like that are, are suffering as well and are foreseeing um, problems in areas that may gain less attention um, than than the areas that are that are in the media spotlight at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm receiving emails, you know, asking for um, interest in positions overseas, which you know, always tempting. Um, but I need to finish finish the year of work that I'm doing at the moment. But hopefully. Uh, the idea of going away with MSF next year is, is definitely at the front of my mind um, and it would be really interesting to see whether or not, um, or what kind of capacity that could be in having having you know um, completed most of my ONG training if there was um, a different kind of role that I'd be offered next time.
1: Um, so finally, just to finish up, what sort of, I guess, any sort of take-home bits of advice you'd give to other people who are considering uh, looking into this sort of thing what what do you think um they should um consider? i think
0: i think if it's something you know that you've always wanted to do um there's never a right time um and so a lot of people that i sort of speak to or ask me about msf say oh, i always wanted to do that but i had to do my resident year first i think it's really important to to look at what you what you really want um, out yep. of your career, um, and to to realize when you know the the spaces that you have and the flexibility that you have, which is uh, often isn't off um, isn't apparent when you look at um, you know the path that's sometimes laid out for us, um, and uh, that there and also that there are you know lots of other organisations with very different. Um, uh, agendas or, or policies that that might fit better for you, but for me, the um, the way that MSF works in terms of its um, impartiality and neutrality um, is is really um, something that appeals and 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 it drew me to the organisation and, and why I'll continue to work with them.
1: Okay, uh, well, thanks a lot for coming and sharing your experiences. It's been very fascinating and you know um, inspired a lot of us to be bit more adventurous and maybe a bit more altruistic and uh we'll definitely look forward to hearing uh Part you two? share some tales <laughs> from any future adventures if you do have any so thanks no again worries. for sharing that's all right Thanks, you cheers thanks for listening everyone please go to the itunes menu and subscribe to the show if you like it write a review this will also help us uh, get seen by other listeners on the iTunes menu. If you're also interested, please go to our website at www.obsandguinicritcare.org where there'll be lots of show notes and links to uh, interesting videos related to the topic that you've just listened to. See you again next time.